We were the menace, not in disguise, but stone obvious drug abusers, with a flagrantly cranked up act that we intended to push all the way to the limit, not to prove any final sociological point, and not even as a conscious mockery. It was mainly a matter of lifestyle, a sense of obligation and even duty. If the pigs were gathering in Vegas for a top-level drug conference, we felt the drug culture should be represented. Welcome back to the book club, boys. I'm Luke. I'm still joined by my three very, very good friends, Max, Sam, and Adam. Guys, what is up this week? Hey, my dudes. Same co-hosts that we've had, so we're doing great. Haven't lost anybody halfway through the book. (laughs) Hopefully we haven't lost any listeners halfway through the book either. Yeah. Stick with us, you know? We'll make it through. It's not a long book. We'll survive. Yeah, it's just books, guys. You got to just stick through them, okay? Although I will say, this is a total aside that has nothing to do with this book. But I read a nice little piece of advice on Reddit of all places the other day, which was when you're reading books, if you don't like a book, just stop reading it and just go do something else. Because like, nobody's holding you accountable. Like, unless, hey, but not this book, to be clear. But I just had like that <laughs> nice we're little moment of, yeah, we are. But I had that nice little moment of like, you know what? Yeah, fuck that. Like, if you're not liking the book, just just go fuck off, you know, and do something that you enjoy. So that's all I have to say about that. That applies to like everything, though. Like, why do anything that you don't want to do? Yes. Unless it's shit that you got to do, like go to the DMV. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, that, that kind of hit home differently for me because I still haven't registered my car and I really fucking need to. <laughs> I've just been putting uh, it off yeah, for like dude. a month. I lost my wallet. I got hit for... with like a $75 late fee for it. Yeah. Yeah, Adam lost your wallet recently. Yeah, I lost my wallet for five days, but then it was found. Oh, um, nice. So I don't have to, don't have to get all my ish replaced. Thank God, dude. I remember you telling me about losing the wallet and then forgetting that it was lost and then remembering and having a double doubly as bad time <laughs> oh and even after i remembered i was like oh it's all right and then like by day four i was a little stressed and then i was yeah, and then i was upset and then it was found <laughs> well then i was upset and then i accepted it i was like all right it's just gone like we're gonna move on and yeah. i canceled Did a couple of my cards it? yeah the homie kayla shout out kayla she found it oh nice nice yeah Thank God, dude. Fuck that. I would hate to lose my yeah. wallet. Have you guys ever had your wallet, like, stolen before? No, I know no. you have, Luke. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, we were, my my girlfriend and I, we were on a hike, and we, like, left our stuff in the car, and we came back, and the window was all smashed in. And it wasn't even, like, the, the wallet being stolen that really made me mad. It was the fact that it was so fucking cold, and I had to drive around without a fucking dry like passenger side window and and it just so happened that i needed to like go on 25 because i was living in the springs and i had to come back to boulder so i had to drive on i-25 without a fucking window with all this glass just like in my car and like bundled up in the biggest jacket i could find just molding about the fact that i like lost my fucking like i got my wallet stolen and everything it was so it wasn't the most fun i ever had in my life but no Daddy, that's so brutal. Yeah. I mean, you know. Wasn't that like a walk too or some shit? Just like a totally innocuous like Yeah, we were we were we were on a hike and it was like a we were in a in a parking lot that really honestly should have been it's like like someone would have seen it happen. (laughs) But yeah. Obviously they didn't. And then I think like 
like three years after it happened, I got a call from the like the Colorado Springs Police Department because they found this dude who had like a voided check of mine that he was trying to cash. And it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was in my wallet when my wallet was stolen. Oh, <laughs> was that's like... so funny. Like I and am the real Luke like... Harrison. They like busted him. <laughs> yeah, and then they like and then they wanted me to come testify in court and it's like I would be there for like two minutes. Like like they'd be like Hey, what happened? Hey, the exact shit I told you on the phone happened. (laughs) Let me go home, dude. (laughs) That's so funny. Holy shit. Yeah. But hey, you know, it all worked out. And uh, as far as I know, I don't have any identity theft going on. Yeah. Or at least any more than the normal American. Let's be clear. As of right now, all four book club boys have their wallets in their possessions. So, (laughs) just to clarify. (laughs) <laughs> that's the kind of responsible uh populace we are here at the book yes. club boys. <laughs> great hands <laughs> we take we totally go to the dmv when we need to <laughs> we totally read the book like way in advance we never misplace things <laughs> totally listen it's not easy but we make it somehow you know it's you gotta you gotta just push through and uh that's what we did with these four chapters which kind of were tough to read yeah they were dry so let's um let's just get right into it because i feel like we all have uh a a lot to at least i have a lot to say about these four chapters um that i'm excited to share so let's just go ahead and do like the chapter summary real quick and i'm gonna make it really fast because it's a brutal stretch of chapters (laughs) i'm not gonna linger on the details too long um so the first chapter our uh little protagonist um is in baker california and he has just like turned around to head back to las vegas to meet his attorney and he's just having like another drug meltdown where he's freaking out about all like he's freaking out about getting caught by the california highway patrol again he's thinking about like fighting lizards in the desert because like the lizards have poison in them and how he's gonna have to like tell the cop um, and he ends up like firing his pistol a couple of times on accident, but luckily nobody's around to to bust him for it. Um, and then he rents a new car in the second chapter, um, a white Cadillac this time, trading out the big red shark. And uh, he does kind of the same thing in this chapter he does in the last one, where he has this moment of like intense paranoia, where he's thinking of all these scenarios in which he could get caught basically being like a drug addict and he talks about the rental car company and like ditching the car and the fbi like tracing him through the company and his credit card declining and all this stuff um in the third chapter he makes it to vegas and makes it to his hotel and he walks in on his attorney with a woman who he had met his attorney had met at the airport and his attorney and the woman are both like super messed up on drugs and um he has another total freak out where he's like oh man we have to figure out how to get rid of this girl she's totally gonna bust us like this is a disaster my attorney's made a huge mistake and i'm pretty sure at the end of this chapter they end up basically just dumping her off at a different hotel and then just like driving away like straight up like a lost cat or something um and in the last chapter they get back to the hotel and <laughs> the girl calls and has remembered their room number and is like, Hey, I really need to talk to these two dudes. And he has like what, you know, has happened every chapter. He has like another total meltdown where he thinks about all these 
horrific outcomes to this problem. And he's trying to figure out how to solve the issue. And um, as the fourth chapter ends, it seems like it's going in a, a very, very dark direction. And that is the chapter summary. Thank you. Thank you, Max, for taking taking the worst one of those so far, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, jumping on that grenade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a just one or two things. Um, I think that you know, obviously, your use of the term "woman" I think was a little strong mm. in this case. Uh, it sounded like she was like a teenage girl, which is that's, oh, sorry, super tough. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't even think they actually made it to the hotel themselves. I think they. I'm pretty sure they went back to the airport and then dropped her oh, off. Yeah, that's, with that's somebody right. At the airport, like, and then told them to get a cab to take her to the hotel. So tough, tough scenes, tough scenes right now um, for a myriad of reasons. But let's let's try and pull the good out of it before we before we just hop into all the bad. So, <laughs> Sam, do you have do you have a good high for us to start off on? Um, let me see. I think I got a few highs actually. I've got to pick one though, I guess. All right. My favorite high, the high of highs, is when he's checking into the Flamingo Hotel. He's standing in line behind this cop who's trying to check in. And and the desk clerk, the hotel guy, is just like not not letting the, the cop check into the hotel. His like reservation is gone. The cop has to go to this other hotel. The cop is like flipping his shit, pissed off, like his the wife is crying. And then, like, Duke is, like, just behind him. And, like, he's, like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. Like, I'm just going to slide up to the desk in my shitty Converse and my ripped shirt and get my reservation. And that's exactly what happens. Um, And that was just hilarious. It was, like, one of the few times where I felt like uh, Duke was, like, kind of in control of the situation and in control of himself. And things just kind of went his way. And, like, he played a role and it just worked um and it was just it was just hilarious yeah um, i really is... like that part also with um how he describes the desk clerk saying that he's like this is his chance to um you know give the cop a little taste of his own medicine with like the i hey these are the rules man i don't make the rules you just have to uh follow the rules so unfortunately you're gonna have to <laughs> get out of my hotel <laughs> <laughs> yeah I yeah i it was so good the description the like paragraph saying how he looked too i'm just gonna read that because i think that's hilarious he's just like i looked pretty bad wearing old levi's and white chuck taylor all-star basketball sneakers and my 10 peso acapulco shirt had long since come apart at the shoulder seams from all that road wind my beard was about three days old bordering on standard wino trim and my eyes were totally hidden by Sandy Bull's Saigon mirror shades. So like this dude, he he looks how a hangover feels. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he looks he looks how you look when you went to a buddy's party and crashed on his couch and you're wearing the same clothes the next day and it just it just don't feel right and you don't feel right. And you just feel dirty <laughs> and like and he just takes full advantage of it. And I, I, I did really love that moment too. That was great. Yeah, dude, I was just gonna say I hadn't thought about that, Adam. But, like, I think that's why the moment is so much... It's almost, like, more satisfying than it would have been otherwise. 
because we finally get a scene where Duke is like actually thinking like a real human. <laughs> He's actually in control of what's happening around him. And I felt like even though as a reader, we have this like incredibly like, I don't know, to say conflicted would be a light description, I guess, of the main character. He's got a lot of sides to him. <laughs> and uh, it feels like in this moment, he's, um, I was actually like rooting for him for the first time. I was like, nice, dude, like stick to this fucking cop. It's going to be great. And then the character's like, oh, I'm going to stick to this cop. I was like, nice. He's not just like freaking out somewhere. He's not on the verge of ruin. Somebody's not about to catch him. He's actually doing something that's funny and I'm into it, you know? I feel like that totally added to the whole scene. Yeah. I think I think that it was kind of similar to when they were at the Mint 400 and they came up on those dune buggy guys, the like yes. America dune buggy <laughs> yeah, guys. Yep. And then he, he was like, oh yeah, that guy who said like shitty things about the Pentagon's like right down that way. You guys go get him, you know? And it was like, it was one of those few moments where you can see that there's this, there's this funny and like witty guy in there. It's just really deep down sometimes totally well it's being masked by all the drugs <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah there's a lot of layers of drugs it's, yeah it's funny too layers. i feel like there are those moments where you're reminded that he is actually a f- relatively famous journalist who's like good at his job and you're like oh yeah like this is what the book's about it's like so hard to remember that until it's specifically mentioned he's like oh well i am the journalist that covered this or like i did write that story that one time and you're like oh that's right you're not just a junkie just like flying around doing all kinds of crazy shit so i like that part yeah no that was that was definitely a good one max or sam you guys got got anything for us yeah i would say my high is when he's talking about when he gets the white cadillac and he's talking about uh how he imagines the credit card company or like the rental car company checking on his credit card is going (laughs) and he's like he writes hello this is vip car rentals in las vegas we're calling to check on number eight seven five zero four five six one six b just a routine credit check nothing urgent long pause at the other end then holy shit (laughs) so funny to me that like He just, they, like, they have to call, like, this is also before the internet, obviously, so they have to, like, call each other to, like, figure out if he has enough credit to rent the car, and then uh, they just kind of, like, find out that he's just, like, basically a criminal as far as the credit card <laughs> like company is and then he's just, like, he's already out of there, they're like, well, he's just you know cruising around las vegas yeah dude, that was such a great like movie moment or cartoon moment where it's like hey yeah we're checking with this person and the desk clerk just like looks at his little book and like looks into space and like looks at his book again he's like he just left with like our <laughs> oh, nicest no. car it's like oh jesus it's <laughs> so funny bro i i had a hard time telling if that was just like his imagination or if it like was actually happening he was just like it was just, just like a theoretical conversation I he think came so. up with. Yeah. yeah that's what it seemed like to me it was yeah. like one of those family guy moments where it's like that's that's like the time i had bad credit <laughs> right <laughs> like, yeah yeah the, the, the thought yeah. bubble pops up and we go into like a fucking 45 second little joke about yeah, it. I, I feel so like he did that a lot in these four yeah. chapters yeah 
Well, definitely. Yeah. I didn't even think about it until I did the chapter summary where it's like at the end of every single chapter, he's like in the grips of some like freak out moment where he's thinking about how he's going to get caught doing whatever he's doing or like, it's just total. It almost reminds me a lot of like schizophrenia where he's just like worried that some far away thing is like going to affect him in that moment. Like the credit card thing where it's like, whatever dude like you have the car just drive away but he's like oh they're gonna call they're gonna find out it's gonna go like this and it's like all right dude you need to just fucking you literally need to go and just go to bed for like three or four days and then just wake up <laughs> yeah well he needs to eat something too remember how oh. in like whatever the chapters he was like he hasn't eaten anything in like over 24 hours and he's like i need sustenance yeah. so he smashes a bloody mary for the vitamins for the vitamins so funny dude. Like, bro i got this don't worry <laughs> that's just like a classic tough. alcoholic move it's like oh i need some nutrients bloody mary yeah, yeah, yeah dude yeah totally um i think that so the only high i could really find was kind of a dark humor high but <laughs> it's the beginning of chapter two and he's talking about how much he sweats, which I thought was funny because, yeah. like, I also sweat a lot. And the summertime is very similar where it's just, like, a little damp the whole day and you just get home and you're like, oh, great. And I just love the moment when he's like, <laughs> my clothes are soaking wet from dawn to dusk. This worried me at first, but when I went to the doctor and described my normal daily intake of booze, drugs, and poison, he told me to come back when the sweating had stopped. Because that would be the danger point, he said. A sign that my body's desperately overworked flushing mechanism has broken down completely. <laughs> and I was like, nice. <laughs> I just love the idea that the doctor's like, holy shit, you're so fucked up that like, if you ever stop sweating, you need to come see me because you're probably going to die. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It just was such a perfect way to like, explain how far into the lifestyle the character is and just like how almost how beyond help he is where the doctor's like don't even fucking bother me until you're like on the verge of death <laughs> then you can come back and i'll help well i loved i loved how he took that and spun it in a way to be like oh i'm fine dude don't worry like i i got i went to the doctor and he said I'm good instead of like actually thinking about yeah. what the fuck the doctor actually meant by what he was saying. That's a very typical Duke move where he's just like, just if it's if he wants to take it at surface value, if that's what's beneficial to him, he just takes something at surface value. If it if it's like the surface value doesn't work, he goes for some like deeper, crazy kind of paranoid thing where he's like just just serving what he thinks and what he how he like wants the world to be shaped. You know, totally. Mm-hmm definitely definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just love like oh the doctor said like sweating's good if it stops then i'm it's bad so like i'm doing great just like heads off to fucking vegas to continue the trend yeah that was i i really did like that too i would say just to hop in with with my um high which is kind of like I don't know, I feel like you guys took, like, the, the more funny highs, so I'll just take one where I think the writing was really interesting and, like, what he, what I what I at least perceived Hunter Thompson was trying to say. Um, it was at the end of the first chapter. It was that little excerpt about the, the, the guy in jail who, like, popped his eyeballs out, which is, like, a weird high, I know, but I think what... It, it's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy that 
Hunter S. Thompson is kind of trying to show. Because it seems like this is just yet another time that the consequences of Duke's actions are kind of potentially staring him right in the face. You know, and it's like all this shit could happen to you. And like almost at every turn, we're getting reminded again and again and again and again that like what he's doing is fucked up. And it's not only fucked up in the sense of what he could do to other people, but he's also like really fucking himself up too. Um, and he just kind of refuses to to even like really think about it or even acknowledge it. Um, and and like and you can kind of just see him rejecting that idea through the image of him throwing away this paper that was literally like that's him basically. You know, if he got if he was stuck in a prison cell and had to come down off drugs. Who the fuck knows what this guy would do, right? So I, I just I just thought that that was pretty like a pretty interesting moment, at least when it comes to the character. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was like the high high for me because obviously like those other moments you guys mentioned are just fucking hilarious and I love them all. <laughs> but um, but I just I just thought that that gave me something you know to to think about a little bit. Yeah, I would uh, echo that in his reference on page 106 of the um, Manson family because a lot of what they did to Lucy and like how she got there in the first place is a lot of like what Charles Manson would do with young girls in that same time period so it's kind of the same thing where it's like you know like this is really messed up stuff can happen from this and like these characters are, are our protagonists but it's still like they're doing a lot of these things that like genuinely evil people or like really messed up people have done, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, and I thought like bouncing off of that, it's interesting because when he mentioned the Manson family, that was before he even knew about that whole situation in his hotel room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause it was like when he was going in and he had the whole freak out by seeing all the cops and everything. Right. So yeah, that was a kind of cool little bit of foreshadowing. Um, and I think that also might, might be a good transition into the more, the more shitty stuff we have to talk about now. And do you guys even want to do lows or do you just kind of want to have a little discussion about what happened? Cause I'm pretty sure yeah, I'm fine little... with the discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have, like, I'd rather yes. not like overtly say exactly what my low was because it was so low. I think, yeah, I, I feel like we can all bother, yeah. like, <laughs> say it yeah. You know, I think I have the yeah. same one. <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah i think we probably all do honestly but i wrote gross i wrote in my book. i just wrote the word brutal with really bad handwriting that makes it look like i died while i wrote it i was like brutal. <laughs> um real quickly just as a lead into that conversation is um this i just thought of this Luke, but what you described with the whole story about pcp and the guy pulling his eyeballs out i just realized that this little section is almost like a exactly how the next four chapters go where like he does the drugs he gets back into like a corner right like the guy in the story is in like an actual jail cell but our protagonist is like by the end of the four chapters he's in a situation where this girl that like some messed up stuff just happened to at the hands of he and his attorney she knows them she knows the room number and he feels like he's back into a corner and the pcp guy pulls his eyeballs out and then at the end is like he was so fucked up and so depressed that like he didn't even scream when he pulled his eyeballs out 
And I feel like that was such a great parallel to the end of these chapters where our, our protagonist is like presumably going to kill Lucy. Like he takes the gun. He doesn't tell his attorney what he's doing and he leaves. And like, it's the exact same thing where he is in such a deeply depressed state that he has no emotion about it. He's like, I'm just going to go with this gun. I'm going to do what I need to do. And I was like, man, that was cool. Cause it's like a total parallel to the PCP story where it's like a drug addled, degenerate trapped in a corner is taking like incredibly callous action either against himself or another person and the pcp guy i'm assuming you know they're like he tore his eyes out to try to stop his hallucinations or to try to stop feeling whatever was going on in the same way that our character is like about to maybe try to kill lucy to like solve his problems and i thought that that was like Interesting, he decided to put that, you know, at the beginning of this stretch of chapters. And then, like, from that story, everything goes to shit real fast. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That's something that I didn't I didn't even really think of. But I, I like that a lot for sure. So, OK, let's let's stop beating around the bush quite as much here um, in chapter three when Duke finally makes it up to the hotel room, he finds this, uh, he finds his attorney already there and there's this girl who's with his attorney and the girl is freaking the fuck out, like very much freaking the fuck out because uh, his attorney has given her acid and she's never even had like a drink of alcohol before and he's given her alcohol and acid uh, and it, I don't know. I'm trying to find in the book and I, and you guys can tell me like whether, you know, if it's, if it's anywhere, but I don't think we actually know how old she is really. Um, I know that she's like running away from home and this is like the fifth time in six months that she's done that, but it's kind of ambiguous, I believe as to how old she is. And basically the situation is the, the girl was running from home and his attorney basically just met her at the airport, slapped some drugs in her, and then now they probably had sex in the hotel room. And it's, it's really fucked up. <laughs> like that is, this is, it, 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 this feels so far away from the, like the craziness in the start of the book. Like, it feels like this is, this we're in the spiral you know we're in this like massive downward spiral right now where shit is getting more and more real and scary and like we're actually starting to see like real people being harmed by what they do so i don't really know where you guys want to start like breaking this down or even how much you guys want to break it down but it's i mean this is clearly a a very important part of the plot one thing that I I thought was kind of interesting is that when he gets into the hotel room and the attorney's there, I was kind of like, oh shit, the attorney's back. And mm-hmm. just because the last time we saw the attorney, he was being like pretty wild, definitely violent. Um, so I was just having these expectations, especially with the girl there of like, oh, like shit's about to go really badly because of the attorney. And then like a couple pages later, all of a sudden it's Duke detailing out this plan to basically like hand off the girl to the cops for 
you know, unspeakable reasons. And it was this weird flip for me. It was like where I thought the attorney was about to do some horrible things. And then it turns out that it's like, no, Duke wants to do really, really horrible things to this girl. Yes, dude. Mm. Totally. What That's exactly what I was thinking. We're like the first half of the book so far, <laughs> I feel like it's framed to suggest that the attorney is like this terrible influence on our main character. And like, <clears throat> excuse me. Whenever the attorney is around, he brings like this energy level uh, and this like sort of, for lack of a better term, this like drug addiction that our main character might not even really have without the attorney around. Because we see the moments when the attorney's gone, he's like, I'm going to go back to LA. I'm going to, you know, stop doing drugs. (laughs) I'm going to like make different choices. And so I feel like the reader has been primed to exactly like you said adam like oh the attorney's here shit's about to get crazy the attorney is the one that like tried to zap himself in the bathtub but then in the very first instant when they meet we realize that like duke is like probably the more fucked up of the two and definitely the more the least the way i thought of it is like the attorney seems like a psychopath and he definitely has some suicidal tendencies but like duke has this like I'm willing to sell literally everybody else out and I'm willing to do anything to those people to keep my ass out of jail, basically. And so what you mentioned, Adam, he's like willing to basically prostitute this girl they just met at the airport to this group of like police officers that's staying in the hotel to try to make money. And even the attorney is like, I don't remember exactly what he says. He's like, dude, you're straight up like sick. He's disgusted, yeah. He's disgusted mm-hmm. and you're like, the attorney is is already fucked but like hearing the attorney tell our main character like geez dude you're the really messed up one i felt like it was um it was just interesting to see sort of that flip because like i finished these four chapters being like damn fuck duke (laughs) like this dude is the worst yeah whereas the attorney now seems like actually a better person than duke does oh i mean extremely relative use of better (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i i'm not sure how how real duke's plan for the whole prostituting thing was or not i kind of the way i read it at first was that it was it was kind of a way for him to i don't know just just piss the attorney off or I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Like he's kind of like manipulating like him to get rid of the girl. Yeah, like, yeah, being like, well, now that she's here, this is what we're gonna have to do, and then like, kind of walking him down this path where it's like, you know, the or I guess we could compromise and get rid of her type deal, right? Um, that being said, the fact that he said any of that shit at all <laughs> is insane, um, and it's ultimately what they did is still so fucked up that it's kind of beyond belief right because there's this girl who like it is she they literally just dumped her in vegas and like gave some dude like a ten dollar bill and was like hey just get her to this hotel my guy like and that's just kind of now the fact that it's actually coming back to potentially like cause harm for them i think it's actually a very good thing in the grand scheme of things considering everything else they've done but fuck me dude like what a 
what a shitty situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they created it for themselves too. Like that's that's something that needs to be said. Yeah, right? I it's... feel like that's been continuous. Is that they keep putting themselves in these ridiculous situations that cause them all this like stress and turmoil, and like now is harming other people. It's like they're doing it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and something that Max said earlier really I think hit the nail on the head. Where it's Max said something to the extent of like Duke always puts the puts the opus on the onus on other people right like it's it's always someone else's fault it's always something else is happening to him when in reality like you know yeah maybe you didn't bring the girl to the hotel room but you know this attorney is batshit fucking crazy you've done way way crazy fucking shit with him for the entire the entirety of the book right and the fact that like he still spends time with him and like enables the attorney to do this type of stuff he's creating that situation for himself then dumping the girl creates this next situation where hey like maybe she realizes that you guys are kind of super fucked up and that she might like go to the police and actually bust you guys for for what's happened Mm -hmm. there's a part um where he's kind of describing that and it does sort of have a uh, fourth wall break sort of thing and also a little moment of like self-reflection that he has on 122 where he's saying that he feels like he felt like Othello and uh, that uh, here I'd only been in town a few hours and we'd already laid the groundwork for a classic tragedy. The hero was doomed. He had already sown the seed of his seed of his own downfall but who was the hero of this filthy drama? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, self-reflective and you're not the hero, dude. You're kind of just like this chaotic, I don't even know, like drug monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I had two things. I'll start with the one that's more of a closed a closed end and then I'll prompt a question to you guys that I just noticed when I was like rereading this last chapter. But the last section like the very last page I thought was so interesting where he does what he did a couple of, of chapters earlier where he like envisions the argument that the attorney would make um, in the courtroom if they were caught basically. And he talks about like, you know, they filled the girl with drugs. They used her for all these purposes. She can't remember what happened because it was so terrible, blah, 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 blah. But like the way he writes it with, the italics over certain words and stuff you can like feel the sarcasm and like the the like vitriol of him like oh these fucking like oh this attorney would like spin this thing so fucking bad we'd be fucked so hard like this jury would eat it up and it's this weird way to kind of like downplay his own involvement and to to be like we'd go to jail because the system is corrupt and like the jurors would believe anything rather than like we'd go to jail because like we did actually do these things <laughs> like and i just thought it was an effective way <laughs> for the writer to kind of put you in the mind of people like this which i think that i can't think of any examples off the top of my head but this reminds me so much of like the good old boys culture where it's like if you get caught insider trading it's not about the insider trading it's about like oh can't believe of course if they tell our story this way like public is going to totally believe them and like they're going to think we're the bad guys somehow and it's like 
I mean, you just committed a crime, like the way that the public portrays, it doesn't really matter that much. And that's how kind of our um, protagonist is thinking about it. And I was like, damn, that's such a, I don't know, just a cool way to put you in the mind of somebody like that, where it's, it's, it's never their fault. And there's always something that's like, I don't know. Um, but the question I wanted to ask you guys was, he also mentions, um, I think I just lost it, but there's a moment when they're taking the girl and they're going to like drop her off at the airport. And he says that he feels like a Nazi. He's like, hang on, I can't find it. But he, he basically is just like, oh, we should take her to the airport, drop her off. I feel like such a Nazi, but like it has to be done. And I was like, I feel like he's actually mentioned Nazis quite a few times in the book. And the first couple of times, it's like this ridiculous comparison. Where it's like, okay, dude, like Nazis, huh, whatever. But at this point in the book, he's like, I feel like a Nazi. And I'm like, I mean, you're kind of acting like one. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like you're literally doing something that's super effed up. So it feels like he's just using that to make himself feel better, that comparison. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. Because like, he mentions it a bunch of times, I feel. The, the only time I remember hearing the Nazi thing in these chapters was when he was trying to rent the car or there was something like, it's like, do I look like a goddamn Nazi? Like, I thought that when he was trying to, like... When they offered yeah, him a Mercedes. Buy something. Yeah, it's a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, that is an interesting point, Max, that he has brought it up a few times and that he's definitely kind of perpetuating it. And... I would probably have to go back and actually look at the other times when when he brought it up, but I would imagine that in a way, yeah, it is to kind of remind everyone else in the outer world that maybe there is something that's worse than him, in a way, if that makes sense, where he's, like, essentially pulling the whole, well, like, I mean, yeah, like, I'm not perfect, I do, like, fuck tons of drugs, and I hurt people sometimes but i'm not a nazi so like come on it could be so much fucking worse yeah i think in his mind like the worst thing is state violence like he has such an aversion to that particular kind of violence like he's against nazis obviously like very anti-fascist hates cops um hates the vietnam war there's like another scene in these chapters where he's like freaking out about the violence of the vietnam war um so he's like clearly against state violence but has no problem with just like being violent himself like at the beginning of at the beginning of part two he's talking about how he wants to just shoot iguanas because he needs to kill something in that moment he just like has this urge to like kill something so he's like wanting to shoot iguanas in the desert and then obviously like the whole scene with lucy like he's being pretty violent um so it's this weird like double standard but his like it seems like his least favorite thing in the world is state violence so it would make sense that he's like oh i'm not as bad as nazis like i'm just violent on this small scale not like a system violence sure that's yeah. a really good point yeah that's a really good point dude that's fucking huge brain <laughs> yeah, yeah state i violence. didn't even think about that we'll have to wow. give out a yeah. huge brain yeah no that's that's super cool <laughs> <laughs> i think that the reason he thinks that he was being a nazi in the other part is also because he's kind of interrogating lucy and I would draw that sort of uh, parallel with like cops as well. And just like the interrogation sort of like um, uh, uh, sort of dichotomy or not dichotomy. Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> just like I'm trying to describe the, the like the way that you act when you're interrogating somebody is sort of a lot of like the the uh, way that Nazis are portrayed, and sure. especially in that scene when he's talking to Lucy, uh, he's sort of like she's pretty innocent and hasn't really done that much wrong. So I think that that's part of the reason why he feels like that too. It's because sure. it's like mm-hmm. sort of attacking her for no reason other than like she's right there in front of him and he wants to get rid of her. It's like almost like a power dynamics thing where she's like innocent, she's like super vulnerable on drugs, and he's like the hardened drug veteran that's like, I gotta protect myself at all costs. Like, I'm about to lay the smack down on this woman and like, sorry, on this young lady and then potentially like potentially kill her or do whatever it takes including like dumping her off like luggage at the fucking airport um the other thing i wanted to mention did you have something to say luke i thought i saw you yeah so i i thought it was something that we should mention too is just going back to the the kind of idea of interrogation and the whole interaction so far between lucy and duke is um he comes into the room right when she's in one of the like one of if not the most vulnerable situation of her life right and she's fucking scared shitless basically and he comes in and instantly like the first thing he thinks about her is like that she's gonna try and fuck everything up right it's like it's like she's there specifically to try and fuck up what he's trying to do instead of having like any empathy towards her and any idea that maybe I should try to help this like young woman because I've done drugs. I've seen people do drugs before. And when I like think about it, you know, that's a shitty spot to be in, right? Like, I I, I don't know. I forget what the exact wording he put in was, but it it was clearly very, like it was very abrasive right off the bat. And instead of trying to like think about anything other than the effects to him he just only saw the threat that she provided and then just basically acted accordingly after that so that was all i had to say max go ahead oh i mean that brings up like a ton of good points but uh, yeah he like shows up opens the door and he describes her as a pit bull is the first thing he says is like her little pit bull face and like regardless of how you feel about dogs like a pit bull or a big muscular dog is an intimidating scene. So like he's immediately on guard. And then to your point, his reaction is like to, he's almost going to mace her. It's like, he's like, I could see the violence. Like she was about to get violent. And as a reader, at least my interpretation was like, you're fucking out of your mind. Like she's not just going to attack you, but he's like, guys, mace can ready. And it's like so confrontational and it's like so tense for a second. You're like, dude, what the, fuck's going on like it just it was interesting he draws the parallels the animal parallels both with the pit bull description and the mace it's like who you know you don't mace another human unless like you're a police officer (laughs) unless you're like you know what i mean unless you're under immediate threat i guess um so that was interesting but like even what you said about him helping her you know like later on he uses that exact language and there, he has this this like this perverted view of what has just happened where he's like oh geez like i'm trying to help her out by 
giving her to the police because it's gonna make us money or like i gotta go dump her off because I'm, I'm trying to help her out like i'm a, i'm helping her you know and i feel like no matter no matter your life experience you've met somebody like that where no matter what decision they make it's backed up by like geez bro i was just helping you out you know somebody's like hey dude your shirt looks horrible on you and you're like ow and they're like i'm just trying to help you out bro so that like somebody else doesn't have to tell you and it's like art really though bro and that's exactly what we're getting from him right is this like i'm helping you out by treating you like an actual dog like she could just be a dog like that this is how this whole scene could have gone he walks in almost maces it because it barks at him and he's like we gotta just dump this fucking thing off at the airport or whatever <laughs> like it's just the same thing it's mm-hmm. so it's effed up um yeah but the the what i originally was gonna say was just um i think it's his whole commentary on religion throughout the book has been so fascinating to me where at moments he just like explicitly talks about how silly he thinks it is and he's like religion is stupid but then there are moments where the main character is like praying and is actually thinking about religion in a in a in a, a much more serious sense and then in this chapter these chapters having lucy as like a religious figure where she's like saying god bless you she's like making i don't know what exactly what he was referring to and she's doing the jesus freak sign with her fingers but like she's she's got all these religious connotations to her which i think makes it like all the more horrifying what is happening to her and i just wonder what exactly he was trying to go for i'm tundras thompson i mean uh as he's writing in this character you know what i mean because to me it just felt like he's just like muddying the water of religion and making it feel like even if you believe in something like bad stuff can still happen and I don't know. I don't know. Just wanted to see what you guys thought about the whole yeah. religious element that he included in these scenes. Yeah, I I also don't know what the Jesus freak hand sign thing was like. Like, <laughs> I yeah, I, I said one finger. I was like, <laughs> yeah, big, a big old thumbs up. Like, um, but I I do agree with the fact that he. I mean, I from what we know about Hunter S. Thompson. My guess is that he probably wasn't a very religious guy and he probably also didn't really like the whole establishment of religion, right? Like the way it kind of forces people to live a certain way and expects you to live by rules. That doesn't really seem like his vibe, right? Um, As far as why for Lucy, to me, it just made her more seem more vulnerable to like the I don't want to use the the term like the real world because I don't think that really encompasses what I'm trying to say. It's more it just just this crazy situation that like she's never been exposed to any of this before, more than likely, right? Like she's a small town Montana girl who like hey Montana Max, let's go. Uh <laughs> and she she literally just like She's probably never really even made it as far as she did when she ran away from home before. And, you know, she just she just fucking loves Barbara Streisand. And that's the only reason she's there is because she wants to meet fucking Barbara Streisand. I'm so glad you brought that up. I forgot <laughs> right? about all of that. So, Hundreds so of paintings like she, of Barbara like Streisand. Which is <laughs> so creepy. 
but but like I, I to me it just feels like it was just another thing to make her seem more innocent and like she probably has no idea what the fuck is going on or what these two guys are capable of um sure i'm sure that there's more to it but i had a thought about her representing a different portion of like the american dream in that like she is sort of like this devoted religious person but she's also almost religiously devoted to a star barbara streisand that she like just sees on tv and like you know there's there's you know artists that have throughout history only painted like jesus or mary or like the saints and so it's that same sort of thing that i think it's like in American culture, we almost have this like religious fanaticism for stars and famous people, especially like movie stars and like Hollywood. And he's probably making a comment on that, like just that some like it can creep other people out if you're looking at it from like an outside perspective, how obsessed some people can be with like stars. That's our second big brain moment of the night. Dude. Dude. That was so wow. good. I didn't even think about that. We gotta get a sound effect for big vein moments. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, you guys have been eating your leafy greens, my dude. That's the soundboard. Got some healthy brains. Uh, No, that's that's awesome, Sam. I love the part too when he. This is one of the and like you had said, Adam, at the beginning before we started recording that like as dark as these chapters are, there is there are some great like moments of levity and some humorous things he says, and one of them was where he's like talking about taking her to the airport. And he's like, thankfully, she packed up her pictures without us having to, like, ask or something. Or he's like, <laughs> and she took all our paintings. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of funny. Like, the idea that they take her, get rid of her, and walk back. And there's, like, 50 Barbara Streisand pictures, like, all in the room. It's, like, so weird. But to your point, Sammy, the other thing I just thought of is there's a moment when he's like, oh, if she had read this, this, this Newsweek article or whatever... Um, she would know that like Barbara Streisand isn't even in Vegas for another two weeks or something. And I felt like that was a great little thing of like, celebrities don't give a fuck about you. And like, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> There's no way that like, if she was in town, this girl would get any kind of, she would get what she's looking for from like Barbara Streisand, you know? And I was like, that's kind of funny. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. She shows up to Barbara Streisand's like room. And like the security guards try to like stop her. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I made these for you. And it's like eyes with jelly fire. And she's like, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. They're, they're just like, for the most part, kind of look like Barbara Streisand, but like not <laughs> really. Kind of not that good. <laughs> I literally yeah. ran away from home to give you these paintings of That's, her face. That was a, that was a really <laughs> awesome point, Sam. Wow. I'm, I'm still like even trying to process that <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's like i think it's also what i was gonna say um oh it looks like matt max left the chat we lost max <laughs> that's fine <laughs> he was offended um, but it was also i was also thinking about um sort of the the time period stuff too where it's like maybe he's he's talking about how in america at this time there's sort of this like uh degradation and like uh i don't want to use like any sort of graphic imagery but like of the religion and like the and just like religious community during like that time i feel like 
in like the 60s was sort of this time where it's like the counterculture was counterculture to everything including like the church and religion Mm -hmm. but yeah and kind of like the drug movement represented as the attorney and like her as representing like a religious youth and how the the drug culture sort Mm -hmm. of has violated the the religious youth yeah no that's that's another really good point to bring up because I think that 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 image is that's kind of exactly what happened Mm. right you had so many kids and young adults in in the 60s and the 70s who looked at the way that their parents were living their lives and looked at the things going on in the world and decided that they wanted to do something completely completely different and we can like argue the merits or demerits of that and we can argue the consequences that came out of that but at its core i think that that's something that basically everybody feels at some point right and i think every generation going back to uh i I think it was like the the freak out chapter he mentioned something like the flashpoint of a generation that whole idea that there's like this massive like just one defining moment for their generation and for them it was like you know the decade of the 60s and all this change that was going on um in a lot of ways for our generation it's probably right now right Mm -hmm. like or at least what's coming up in the next couple years but um that sounded kind of ominous i didn't mean (laughs) be there (laughs) be there stand by i repeat stand by oh no (laughs) yeah this podcast is actually just to set up a sleeper agents for our socialist revolution (laughs) and then i'll have a trigger word that's just like drops in all the shows (laughs) but it'll be like fear like yeah but i i really love those points sam and i think that that is a it's a much more in-depth way of looking at it than i than i did which is it makes me feel better about what i read it doesn't make me feel great yeah but it makes me feel better about it yeah i feel like sometimes i use that um that as a protection from what i'm actually like witnessing yeah. in, the, in the story <laughs> yeah it's like there's got to be something more to this, right? yeah like, like, this, <laughs> this can't just this be just, him writing about like this disgusting this would just be like yeah yeah so anyway um something more lighthearted. let's let's bring up something a little bit more lighthearted to kind of wrap up the show a little bit because i just really liked the fact that the first car they got was the red shark and then the next one is the white whale, right? Because it's you know the shark. It the shark seems it's like you know kind of predatory, and it's like this thing that's it. T- to me, it, it took them into this situation where they're going to fuck up their lives essentially, right? Um, and then they they finally ditch it, and you know he's like, oh, you know it's it's it was stupid anyway. But then they end up with the white whale, which is just as materialistic right when he's driving in it he's talking about ten thousand dollars worth of gadgets in the fucking car which back in the day is like more than my entire car costs by a lot (laughs) and and the, the idea of it being called the white whale i feel like is this really awesome image for the the whole consumerism vibe that we were talking about in previous episodes 
where it's like Americans are always chasing this ideal of, you know, if we just get the next, like, the next big purchase item or whatever, it'll be so much better and it'll be happy. But, you know, he just did that and eventually this white whale is going it, to, it's going to represent the same things that the red shark did for them too. So, yeah. I don't is know, that a Moby Dick chasing kinda, the white whale? Yeah, I was about yeah, to ask that. Yeah, exactly. People people use the white whale as like a a term for their ultimate goal or like the ultimate prize. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So I just I thought that that was cool and that was something that I kind of wanted to mention. Uh, it you know if you guys have other comments we can totally totally hit me with those. But I just wanted to like bring it up a little bit yeah. before we before we drop the end of the epi yeah dude i loved i just hope that these next chapters are a little uh lighter and that lucy ends up being okay i don't know if that's gonna happen yeah. but you know I'm, yeah, I'm yeah for real i'm ready for i'm ready for the bad things that happen in the book to start happening to duke and the attorney yeah for you sure know? that's kind of where i'm at i'm I'm ready for something to happen and for it to be like, okay, like get some justice. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Is this a learning moment? Probably not. <laughs> oh guys, there is one good thing about the attorney being back. What's we that? get our, our classic joke. As your attorney, yeah. I advise you to tell me where the goddamn mescaline is. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I that part too. <laughs> That's literally get me every time. I just have a little chuckle. I'm like, nice. Because <laughs> I would make that joke so every happy. day of my life if <laughs> I would attorney. Um, right? I kind of want to go to law school. As your attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, yeah. I was going to mention is that at the very end, um, when he's talking about the very last page of these chapters, he's talking about what the jury would say or what the attorney would say in court against him. And uh, he's like, I use the word kill with all due respect for the fear and loathing I'm sure it provokes in every one of you. And I was like, yeah, baby, title of the book. (laughs) (laughs) It was just nice because I just, the second call. I just love not once, but twice so far. I just love that. Like, (laughs) just shoving the title right in there. If at one point he doesn't include Las Vegas, I'm going to be a little upset. Crestfallen. <laughs> yep. Oh, you know he's not going to. You know, you know when he was writing it, he was like kind of getting off on the fact that he's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tease him a little bit. I'm not gonna give it to him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I felt less teased this time than last time. Mm. Yeah, same. Fear and loathing in Fat City. <laughs> Fat City. I was, I was at the, uh, I was at the the liquor store looking at all the beer and i thought about fat city brewing that we talked about oh, yeah. and i was just like that'd be so fucking sick <laughs> when, when the podcast yeah, really takes off and we start like really making that ad revenue we're just gonna open up fat city brewing <laughs> that will be our own yeah sponsor. i would love that I, I just love i love bro <laughs> i just like the more i read the more confused i become because i'm like man this guy's a pretty solid writer like it's not personally my favorite writing style, but he clearly has a lot of wit and a lot of like slick little moves that he's using. And just the knowledge that this all accumulates to him nicknaming Aspen Fat City. I'm like, bro, what the fuck happened? Like, what a fall from grace if your best you could come up with was Fat City. A fall from grace? Drink. Dude, I see it the opposite. He's ascending, man. 
his magnum magnum opus was like you know what dude i'm not even gonna overthink it fat city baby that's the joke that's what i'm gonna call it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, respect the simplicity that's good stuff all right all right so we'll read through about... <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about this totally smooth <laughs> Your homework for next week is uh, it's the next four chapters. I don't fucking know. <laughs> so through through chapter eight of part two. Yeah, you will read until you see yeah. chapter nine. Yep, and not a page further. Yeah, read through chapter. It's eight. the same every week, guys. When you see chapter nine, stop reading. Put down your book. Yeah, I yeah. It's, it's more yeah, for my yeah, own sort of. For the folks out there, totally not me. The listeners need to know specifically what's. Also, I wanted to mention. I don't know if we've said this before, but if anybody's listening to this and has gotten this far into the podcast, feel free to send us suggestions for the next book or the next couple books down the line because. Um, we're always looking for suggestions and we're also all really dumb. So it's great to have somebody be like, Hey, this book's good. You guys should read it. Yeah. And be like, okay, cool. We'll consider it. We'll bring it into council and we'll discuss it. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately you have no power in the decision making process, but you can still let your opinion be known <laughs> and the council will see fit whether yes, to consider yes. it. Similar to voting. So. Opinion <laughs> the council. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, the council. <laughs> All right. All right, right peace. For real this time, even though you didn't hear the first one. <laughs> uh, good episode, guys, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Peace out. <laughs>